0: Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And today I've got a fantastic guest for you. He is an award-winning author and blogger. Uh, Matt Hines is the guest today. He's the president of Hines Marketing. And he brings 20 years of marketing experience, business development, sales experience. And he really is focused on creating measurable results, even greater sales, revenue growth, and, uh, and product success. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, a topic that I think is going to be really relevant for everybody, given where we're at right now. Uh, Matt is the absolute expert in creating a predictable pipeline. And so he's going to share his wisdom with us. And uh, Matt, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. I'm, I'm excited to have you here and uh, excited to dive into the topic.
1: Oh man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So, give, give everybody a little bit of background uh, beyond just the you know the few notes in the bio. What what got you to this stage of your career?
1: Well, Steve, this has been a giant mistake. I um, I studied journalism and political science at the University of Washington. Go Huskies! And intended to be a reporter. You know, I wanted to be Woodward and Bernstein and write the world wrongs of the world. And you know, uh, ended up going to a PR firm, going to Microsoft for a while, and got a, sort of got my my business, uh, my business degree on the, in the field at Microsoft, and uh, um, you know, we're, we're, ran marketing for a couple of startups here in Seattle, and then eventually, about twelve years ago, just decided I wanted to try my own thing and intended to just do, you know, to be a one-man consultant, just you know, me and a laptop and a bus pass, uh, working with Seattle-based companies. But uh, we've been able to grow it. You know, we're still a small team, but we work with companies all over North America, helping them, you know, improve the predictability and output of their um, marketing and revenue uh, responsible efforts.
0: Well, I I think uh, you know as we were talking about before we we uh, started the recording, I, I think right now that that idea of creating predictability in in your business development in your pipeline is probably one that that people are really longing for. Um, and and uh, I know uh, as we record this in the summer of 2020, there are a lot of folks that that we work with and and people that I talk to that. We're on record pace up until about the end of February. Yeah. And uh, and then things got, you know, got a little wobbly. So what, what are you telling people right now who are, you know, kind of facing?
1: Yeah, I, I, one of the things that we're telling people is like, you know, it's more important than ever to know who you're selling to and why. You know, I think in best, in great markets, you could be a little looser, you could be a little <laughs> more lax about, you know, your message and your target. Um, but there are fewer companies buying right now. There are fewer companies uh, and those companies that are buying have a shorter list of things they're prioritizing. So I think it's even more important right now to be very crisp about who you're selling to, who has the problems you can solve, who considers that a need to have, who has that immediate need that's an essential service for them to continue operations. Um, And I think if you can get that discipline in place, Having the right message for the right prospect based on the needs they have, based on outcomes that they care about, based on a commitment to change on their own behalf for their own problems, that will help you close more deals and that will help you build a more predictable and a more scalable pipeline in good markets and bad.
0: You know, it it sounds so simple when you say it, but I, I I'm picturing people listening at the other end of this going, that's that's awesome, I know I need to do that. I don't know at, at this stage I don't know how to figure all of that out. so when you're working with businesses, how do you take them through a, a, a thinking process that helps get them clarity?
1: Well, it starts with knowing what numbers you're trying to hit it's it's you know this has to for most organizations we work with where we're you know managing complex sales. this is not a transactional sale this isn't something you can just get someone to download a white paper and they're immediately going to you know give you six, seven figures for some complex solution so it's understanding what numbers you need to hit collectively as a sales and marketing organization, how much demand, generating how much opportunities, generating you know, how much ultimate sales over a period of time. So doing that basic math is a starting point and then translating that into that crisp understanding of who are we selling to and why? Like what is our ideal customer profile? And it's more than just we sell into healthcare and you know, we're gonna to sell to mid-market healthcare companies. What are the attributes and characteristics of the companies that are most likely to buy, that are most likely to have the acute need that you can that you can service, and I think once you've got those two things nailed, once you know your numbers and know your targets, now you can create a buyer-centric sales process that 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 coordinates efforts across sales and marketing. Like I think with with complex selling, it's not okay to just have marketing on the top of the funnel and sales on the bottom, I and mean, that just doesn't work very well. And so in modern complex selling environments, you've got a sales funnel that is no longer split horizontally, it's split diagonally, excuse me, split vertically with a diagonal bent. Where marketing may own the majority of the responsibility at the top of the funnel, sales may own the majority of the work at the bottom, but there is a coordinated integrated effort across the map, across the stages of the buying journey, across members of the buying committee inside the buying organization, that if you can tightly coordinate those efforts, with the right message to the right prospect, with the scale that you need based on your numbers, now you're cooking with oil right and, and that may sound like a lot of things, and this isn't necessarily something you're going to figure out in thirty minutes you know in a, in a in a meeting between sales and marketing, but you put those foundations in place, you've got something that can sustain you for a long time. you'll make adjustments to that, but the discipline of having those things in place and following them consistently. Has created massive change and improvement for companies that we've seen in the, in, in the field.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it it, it kind of comes back to the new version of blocking and tackling. You know, um, I mean, all of that stuff is fundamental. I, what I see a lot, though, is that it's hard to get the level of of coordination that you need between sales and marketing. Uh, yeah. For all kinds of reasons, and and not simply just because of turf battles, but because of the complexity of the task.
1: That's
0: right. And I think it's also very difficult for people to get really clear about um, not just who they're selling to in terms of the companies that they want to sell to or the markets they want to sell into, but when you get down to individual companies, you talked about everybody that influences the buying decision. Who who is on that kind of buying committee? E- even down to the point of it, identifying those people. I just I see a lot of folks stop short of getting to that level of specificity. So what what difference do you see that making for the the companies you're working with when they get when they do the work to get there? How does that impact things for them?
1: Well, it makes a big difference. I mean, we've seen we've seen research that shows that that looks at the at the the correlation between sales and marketing teams effectively working together and the likelihood that they're making their number on a consistent basis. And it's not really surprising to say, well, the more those teams work together, the more likely they hit their number. What was interesting to me is the research when this was done, the, 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 the data points of sales and marketing integration didn't go from none to minimal to moderate to best in class. It went from none to ineffective to minimal to moderate. And it was still up and to the right. Right. So like my, my facetious way of, of, of saying that is like, let's say you don't have sales and marketing working together today let's say you try to get them to coordinate their efforts and you do a crappy job of that, an ineffective job, your numbers will still get better because your prospects now start to see some continuity of what they're seeing across sales and marketing channels. And so the more complex your deal is, the more touches it takes to manage that buying process, the more people in the buying organization is involved. I think it's, I think Gartner now says that there's more than eight or nine plus people that are part of the active decision-making process in an enterprise deal. And so not only do you have to manage those eight or nine people differently, part of your job as a seller, and by seller, I mean the sales and marketing team together as a revenue team, you have to help build consensus inside that organization. And that is, a, that is hard work. And so don't expect, if you're trying to now get sales and marketing to work together in a complex buying process with these complex decisions, don't expect it to go well overnight. Don't expect it to be perfect overnight. This is not a destination. This is a process when we're trying to do this and do this well. I've seen companies be able to scale their, their revenue goals without having to scale the marketing budget. They've been able to pull back on expensive reactive marketing and instead focus on the right customers and bigger deals and the acquisition cost goes down as the business grows. And so that level of efficiency, it's not about media spend when you've got that bigger deals. It's really about tighter coordination and precision of how you're going to market
0: as somebody begins to put this together and and you know as you say it's a process what are some of the signs that i mean other than yeah they're getting more sales out out the back end but but what are some of the the early signs that that they're heading in the right direction
1: well i think there you certainly should see a greater velocity of deals through your pipeline if you're working actively to build consensus amongst that internal buying committee then you will see faster decision-making. You'll see people that are able to sort of do more of the small lowercase yeses that are required at stages of the buying process. I also think you end up seeing a greater level of efficiency from the sales organization, right? If you're looking at metrics like active selling time, what percent of my sales team is actively is, is are they actively selling versus doing administrative work or following up the leads that aren't going anywhere? There's a level of efficiency with the sales organization that can be a byproduct of tighter coordination and uh, and and sort of agreement on numbers and targets and process with the marketing organization. I also think you start you, you you just culturally and again like the cultural element of this is so so important. You see start to see culturally organizations align as a single revenue team versus sort of sales versus marketing. So even when teams are working together, you know, oftentimes there's, who gets credit? Like who's getting credit for the deal? Well, the lead came from marketing, Well, sales closes it. You start to hear language that's less about us versus them. And it's more about we, you start to see examples of a marketing organization that's willing to create content for an audience of one to get that late stage, late quarter deal across the line. You know, many marketers would say, well, you know, unless I get a lot of clicks or retweets or impressions, it's not <laughs> worthwhile. The marketing of more becomes less important when you're focused on driving the right prospects, the right conversations with the right companies.
0: You know, it's it's uh, having having been on a, a marketing team, you know, as a consultant for uh, one of our clients who sold into the banking industry, complex decisions, very T- tend, to, tend to be very skeptical decision makers, that idea of creating that, it's, it's almost sometimes a, a one-to-one marketing, you know, but, but it was so necessary and so effective that it was worth the time and energy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be able to do it. Sometimes I think that, that gets lost. I think that's a really valid point that we look at these big numbers and big stats that frankly don't always mean anything in, in terms of sales and we get kind of sidetracked. Well, they can
1: be counterproductive. I mean, when you've got a marketing team that is focused on the most possible leads at the lowest possible cost, not only that may that be misdirected efforts, it might be counterproductive. You know, if you're, if you're a marketing team that's focused on generating a certain number of leads and you say, well, anyone that fills out our form, anyone that downloads one of our great white papers is a lead. I mean, I can tell you from my own business, you know, we publish a ton of content and best practice guides and research reports around how B2B sales and marketing is working in the field. But a single digit percent of people that download that, we'll get 35 to 40 people a day downloading things on our website, a single digit percent of those are good prospects for us. And, I, and look, it doesn't cost me anything extra to let anyone download it. There's a halo effect and an awareness effect that's great. But if I were to take all of those leads and give that to a sales team and say, oh, these are all good prospects, you should call them all, that would waste an enormous amount of time and there will be an opportunity cost to them not putting that same time and effort and focus on the right prospects
0: yeah it, and you know it's it's interesting we have we have something that's really unique in marketing right now that didn't exist you know, I mean if you go back not that far in history it didn't it just wasn't really possible to get the level of data and and tracking and metrics that we have with virtually anything that we do and that's cool on one hand but i, I think it it can really kind of in in certain cases send you in, in a bad direction, particularly with a complex sale. I mean, because, and then you've talked about this, it's almost never a straight line through the funnel.
1: Yeah, no, it, it never is a straight line. I mean, I don't, I don't know what analogy to use for it these days, but I mean, this is not, this is not selling candy bars. Like this is not a transactional sale. So, you know, sometimes your prospects are going to go backwards. Sometimes they're going to go sideways. You know, some deals are long enough. You may have to deal with a reorg right in the middle of it. Right. And so, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I think two things you got to keep in mind. First, you just have to recognize that it's going to be messy. And it means it's that much more important that you have a coordinated approach as the buyer to know where people are at, where people are interested, to have the right message for the right person to do everything you can to keep deals on the rails, to make sure that the, there's urgency internally for the, for the buyer based on an outcome they care about. To, to eliminate some of those variables that, would be, that are sort of forced errors, if you will. I think it's also important to recognize that you as the seller, independent of just coordinating your message and approach, may sometimes be your own worst enemy. Like, what are you doing in contracts? What, are, what is your legal team doing to put barriers in front of people selling? How flexible are you from a product and services standpoint to help your prospects say yes and to give them something that they're, that they're excited about, right? And so I think looking at your process and eliminating forced errors and making and eliminating, you know, mitigating, you know, the variables that create messiness, yes. But look at your overall process, look at how your organization supports deals and supports customers and make it as buyer-centric as possible.
0: Yeah, I think that's very good advice. So, you know, we're dealing with this messy process and we're, you know, in, in many cases, these sales cycles can be can be very long. What are some of the ways that, that you guys are finding work well for accelerating that sales process? And you know, given what's happening in the world right now, how is that that impacting sales cycle?
1: I think the most important part of the buying process and the most difficult part to get through is the prospect's commitment to change. Your prospect doesn't care about your product or service unless they care about, an outcome that they may or may not have been thinking about before. And if you have someone that is not coming to you beating down your door to buy something, then there is still some level of comfortability with the status quo. So as a seller, you have to help them think differently about the status quo, reframe a part of the problem and then get them to commit to change. And they're going to commit to change in part because they're committed to a different outcome that is important to them. And if you get that commitment to change and you can define what that change represents for that organization, that becomes part of their North Star. That becomes part of the reason why they will stay committed to the deal. It becomes part of the reason why they will prioritize the pain of buying, let alone the pain of changing internally. Because those are significant barriers, right? Getting all this buying committee to agree to something is a challenge convincing people that they actually need to then go change things after we buy to rip out our software and to put in this software to rip out this process and put in this process like no one wants to do that inertia is a powerful thing that commitment to change and the reason for the commitment to change before you get into demos before you get into evaluating features before your sales engineers get involved that commitment to change is going to make or break whether that deal stays on the rails in many many cases
0: so is that really the the secret to speeding things up is, is getting to the point where you're clear that you have that commitment. They've articulated it to you.
1: Yeah. Well, you no longer are just badgering a prospect about your proposal, but instead are advocating for their outcome. Like that is where you want to be like the challenger sale, the book written by CEB before they're bought by Gartner talks about this process of teach, tailor, take control. You create a teachable moment for your prospect that helps them think differently about their status quo. You tailor it to their organization so they can feel directly the impact it could have. You get them committed to change and committed to an outcome. You earn the ability to take control. You are now not just pushing your deal, you are advocating for their outcomes. And so that that is a powerful place to be. That's a trusted advisor place that is going to help you stay in touch. It's gonna help you kind of push prospects. Like we're seeing a little bit of that now as we sort of face the headwinds of the pandemic. You know, I've heard the phrase, um, compassionate empathy, or I mean, excuse me, it's compassionate <laughs> urgency as a selling strategy. When you understand the prospect's problems, when you understand and are an advocate and a trusted advisor to help them succeed, to help them move forward, there may be a, a, a desire, a natural instinct to just hunker down and hope it goes away. But as a seller, as a trusted advisor, you can help your prospects see a way through and you can provide a level of urgency with compassion to help them make the changes necessary to be successful moving forward. You
0: know, as I'm listening to you, the the thing that uh, came to mind is that getting to that commitment, that's really, that's a sales function. I mean, you're in conversation, you're, you're really kind of diving deep into the specifics about a particular prospect. And I, I'm just curious for your take, how does marketing enable you to sort of tee that up to sort of from a positioning perspective, tee up that place at the table as the trusted advisor.
1: Well, I, I think there's there's the individual as trusted advisor and then there's the brand as trusted advisor. And both of those are important. And I think that, you know, you if you're going to increase the likelihood that your prospects are listening to you, if you're going to move your message and your marketing and your sales calls from being interruptive to being I mean, truly irresistible, right? I mean, something your prospects want to engage with. That's more than just helping the rep be a trusted advisor. Your brand has to be seen as someone who is putting the prospects' interest first. Your content needs to be educational. The message that you that you enable your sales rep with or that you put into your white papers or you put into your blog posts or podcasts like this, like think of that as something your prospects should be willing to pay for. Like, how are you creating something with such high value? And delivering it with such generosity uh, to your prospects that they want more. They want to hear more from you. And so I think it's, it's cl- we clearly need to enable reps in every industry to not just understand their products, but to be experts in the problems their customers face. And I've heard people talk about product marketing, which usually is building product roadmaps and helping to deliver messaging to sales. Maybe instead of thinking of themselves as product marketers, they should think of themselves as problem marketers so that they are really reinforcing an understanding of the problem and identifying solutions for the prospects to get there that, that, so that they see, a, they see a path out. And that is, that is very much something that all sales professionals can get better at, but that's got to be an organizational muscle, not just a sales rep muscle.
0: Yeah, and it, it almost requires that the marketers begin elevating and, and working at a level above you know product or, or service solution you know, so that they're really and you know, it's interesting. Um, depending on the company that you know that you're talking about, a lot of times what I'll see happen is you, sales reps are are the ones that are there and meeting with prospects. They're kind of that front line. They get that very close interaction with with prospects. And I'm sometimes shocked at how far behind the lines the marketers are kept. Do you ever find that? Well,
1: I mean, and and I think that, you know, we talked about sort of, we've been talking a lot about sort of these foundational elements of being successful with building predictable pipeline. And, you know, it's it's, random acts of marketing and sales aren't going to get there. Like making (laughs) more phone calls and sending more emails isn't going to get there. This is not a tactical exercise. And as much as I can talk about knowing your numbers and knowing your customers and, you know, having tight process, if you don't address the cultural issues inside your organization, this will never work. If marketing is perceived as the arts and crafts department, if marketing is seen as an organization that is just generating leads and clicks for for that sake and does not care about the outcome, if sales for marketing is seen as well, they're just a bunch of cowboys that are just doing their own thing, they never listen to us, they don't fall apart, that is poison if you allow that to persist. And so addressing that cultural issue up front, from the top down, from the CEO and from the board, It is creating a mandate that these organizations work together. And in some cases, literally setting out an amnesty day. Like, let the team sit down and say, like, here's how I've perceived you in the past. And here's why. And I may be wrong, but this is what I've seen. And for them to say, listen, we're going to put these on the table. We're going to put them in a box and say, like, we're going to start over today. And we're going to believe that everybody is working with the best of intentions. We're going to believe that we don't just agree to the same goal at sales kickoff but we're going to figure out how to create operational alignment. What happens on Tuesday, as opposed to, you know, just once a month or once a a year or once a quarter. So yeah, I think those perception issues are dangerous and you have to address it, not only upfront, but keep addressing it to make sure it sticks.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to watch the, the organizational dynamics around this, that, that are at play, you know, oftentimes, while that shouldn't be the big challenge, it, it, often becomes the big challenge, um, you know, and I f- sometimes I think we get our eyes off the ball because the the truth of the matter is when you get all of this aligned, you're now capable of going out and and, and helping many more potential clients, potential customers, which, I mean, and at the end of the day, that's the point, you know? So sometimes I feel like we, we almost get ourselves off track with a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... You know, as you're looking at at uh, managing, you know, prospects through the pipeline, are there any key kind of inflection points that you know that that your clients tend to have th- places where you focus particularly strongly, you know, and, and trying to move them through those those thresholds?
1: Well, we, we have developed um, sort of this methodology around the predictable pipeline and just, you know, having worked with a lot of companies over the last 12 years to do this. We've found these seven focus areas that are particularly important. And many of them we've mentioned today. It's understanding what your numbers are. It's making sure you've got real strong clarity and consistency of who you're selling to and why. It's roles and responsibilities across sales and marketing. And ultimately, you know, these things translate into what are your programs and campaigns? How do you go to market? What tools are you using to do that? And how do you measure the effectiveness and have a sort of a continued cadence of improvement along the way? Um, we've also developed a bit of a maturity model. So anyone that's listening to this, you know, feel free to you know, email, I'm happy to send it to you. Well, it basically takes those seven areas and has descriptions of kind of good, better, and best for each of those seven areas. And oftentimes we encourage companies to print that out or take it to a meeting and circle, have everybody in the room circle where they think they are good, better, and best for those seven areas. And Anywhere there's disagreement is a good discussion point where you eventually get consensus may give you a priority list of what to go and focus on. You may be really good at identifying exactly who you should sell to. You may be really poor at coordinating how you're going to market between sales and marketing. You may have a great tech stack, but you may have massive holes in your ability to measure and manage what's working in your in your review cycles. So understanding where you are strong and where there's areas for improvement in those seven core areas can really give you a roadmap of what to do. It's different for different organizations based on the maturity of their programs, based on who their customers are, based on their internal culture and, and what's in and what you go into it with. But I have yet to see any program that is not redeemable. Um, and so it's, it's a high potential for anyone that wants to go through it.
0: And what I find most hopeful about what you've shared with us today is that, you know, the, the observation you shared earlier where virtually any any positive effort in this direction will have impact and i think that's i think that's key for anybody that's approaching this you know no matter where you find yourself right now uh, on the spectrum of things so matt this has been fantastic any any final thoughts anything that maybe i didn't ask you that, that I, I should have
1: no i mean i think you know one thing that look i mean we're talking and you know, most of the work we do are with companies that are doing big deals with big companies and so it's a complex sale. And I think sometimes people are looking for like the silver bullet or looking for like the one thing they should be doing. And unfortunately there isn't, if it were that easy, I'd probably try, I'd probably need to charge a lot more for it if it, it, (laughs) it, it but it's, it's to do this well requires doing a lot of things well, consistently on a consistent basis. And so that's why, you know, building this foundation we're talking about, it's not the sexiest thing in the world but if it's going to help you close more deals, increase velocity, shorten sales cycles and create better predictability and consistency of your output from your sales and marketing teams, that sounds really sexy, right? And so the the work it requires is foundational, but the outcome can be, I mean, it can be revolutionary for companies to do it.
0: You know, I, I, I kind of think that's always the way it is. You know, I mean, you look at, if we take the sports analogy, you know you look at at uh, somebody who's reached the pinnacle like tom brady i would guess that you know him waking up and eating a plant based diet is not the most uh, sexy thing to to do day in and day out to maintain his health or strength or whatever and all the training and all that but at the end of the day the result is pretty compelling i think that's really what you're saying here is that you know you, you've got to put in the work but when you do there are there are ways to to do that and and create predictable results. And um, and I love that message.
1: Yeah. And part of that also goes back to, you know, we're talking about getting a commitment to change from your prospects. You have to have a commitment to change internally. Mm -hmm. So if you, if the outcome of better, more predictable revenue production from your sales and marketing teams is worth it, then you're willing to, to to walk through the mud. You're willing to go through the pain. You're willing to stumble and sometimes fall backwards in your effort to get these things done because the outcome is worth it. And you're right. I mean, you talk about Tom Brady, you know, doing, you know, eating whatever. I mean, I'm literally, as we record this, I am on a fast. My wife and I are trying this intermittent fasting program. I hate it. Like I'm really hungry, (laughs) but like, uh, a I'm committed to a process and I'm committed to an outcome and B, you know, if I fast today and then don't fast for the next couple of days or like eat a tub of ice cream tonight, like that's not, it's going to erase the hard work to do. So what keeps us committed is knowing why we're doing it and knowing that the outcome is worth it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's great. Uh, a, a great lesson. And uh, I give you a lot of credit for being on a fast and being on a podcast at the same time. You've, you've delivered magnificently. So uh, wh- where's the best place for people to connect with you and to find out more about what you guys are doing?
1: I yeah, appreciate that. So we're you know, Heinz Marketing, H-E-I-N-Z, marketing.com. I've got 12 years of content up there. It's just, you know, we just, we give it all away. It's, you know, blog posts, research, best practice guides, digital copies of all my books. They're all up there. Um, you know, We are pretty good about finding good sales and marketing content from across the web and curating that up on our Twitter feed. So just at Heinz Marketing, you'll find a lot of that. Um, and if anyone has any questions for me or wants that, you know, predictable pipeline maturity model, just send me an email. Just Matt, M-A-T-T, at HeinzMarketing.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's very generous of you. And I know you've got uh, the new book coming out, The Predictable Pipeline uh, in the spring of 2021, Um, depending on when you're listening to this. uh, I see on your website, it's available for pre-order now. And and, uh, if you listen to this after the spring of 2021, it should be out for sale. So uh, definitely go check that out. Matt, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing some of your wisdom with us and investing a little bit of time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been fun this episode of the unstoppable ceo podcast is sponsored by the unstoppable agency that is the agency part of our business where we work with professional service firms and create a done-for-you marketing program and what that looks like is we actually sit down with you we come together and define your ideal client with you we go build a list of those people and then we begin reaching out to them on your behalf to book them as guests on your podcast. We call it podcast prospecting, and it's a fantastic way to connect with potential clients and influencers that can refer you and it's end-to-end a done-for-you system. And so if that's something that you think might be the right fit for your business, go to our website, go to unstoppableceo.net. You can uh, find there on the homepage a link to a video presentation that explains how it all works. And if you'd like, let's get together and have a quick 20-minute conversation and see if we're a fit. Again, that's at unstoppableceo.net, right on the homepage. Look for a link to the video that explains how it all works.